the behaviour of someone like Tedros, the Director General of the World Health Organisation, and the behaviour of someone like Donald Trump at the moment. They're just locking themselves. They're locking horns to those two guys right now. Um, you know, president of a nation versus, and a nation like the USA too, versus the Director General of uh, an international body like the World Health Organisation. It's beautiful. I think... Um, I think Donald Trump has picked that fight on purpose and Tedros has been very glad to pick up on the fight because it benefits him too. You know what, this could be a symbiotic fight. A chat about politics or anything, really. Between two people who are on the same page uh, is not all that thrilling. It's what's described these days as an echo chamber. Uh, It's it's described that way online, but it it applies even for two people meeting in a coffee shop and having a chat about something. Yeah, politics or anything else. Um... Uh, equally, I think, a chat between two people who uh, are diametrically opposed gets a bit dull as well because they, end, and to a certain extent, they end up just shouting at each other. Yeah. And, um, and the most vicious way you can shout at each other is in measured tones. Um, you know, we're both parties are keeping calm and but calling them so, calling each other an idiot all the same it's a kind of passive aggressive uh, kind of, look i think in both those cases two people who agree or two people who disagree look if they know how to do it properly they can have a sparkling conversation but in general i find that a little bit i find those two scenarios a little bit boring you see those two you know you see those two types of conversations happening on social media. You either get two people, you know, a whole group of people who are in furious agreement and they're all just, you know, bouncing around in their own echo chamber or you get two parties screaming at each other. That's pretty typical. You know, this is um, where's the middle? You know, they're, they're, you've got both, both ends of the argument being argued, but where's the middle? Yeah, the middle is missing. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I, I, I maintain an ongoing chat with someone and uh, we, we, we agree on detail often. And we disagree on detail often too. But um, I was trying to, and in the, in the audio that's coming up in a minute, um, I was trying to think what makes our conversations uh, so sparkling for me. Just for me. I'm only talking about me. I'm talking about me only, you know. And I think it's this. You need... In a work in art, um, there has to be... uh, What do they call it? There has to be uh, contrast and sameness. I forget. There's There's a term for that. I'm not into art. I'm not very good at it. But, you know, we, we come together a little... In some ways, my friend and I... Um, but we differ in another way, in a big picture way, in a fundamental way. And the fundamental way in which I think we differ, and there might be other fundamental ways in which we differ, yeah, 
Um, look, we're different generations. That already makes it sparkling. Um, we have a power differential, you know, in, in, in that I'm an elder and she's younger. Um, but then, you know, and we have a, um, I'm much more a, um, a bollard and she's much more intuitive. You know, she's, she's got a much higher EQ than me, let's put it that way. And so on. So we have these fundamental differences. But the one that I you know, that is occurring to me in the audio that's coming up, because I just brainstorm that this one to myself, what makes it sparkling for me? Uh, what's the difference? You know, between it in in the chat with her, what what do I like about that? And um, and I think it, I I think for the moment I think it's this. She cares, and I don't. Now, that's not a bad thing that I don't or that she does. That's not a bad thing. In fact, when we start chatting to each other from these two different perspectives, um, I, I think it's a magic blend. It gets the, you know, it gets the ideas going better. You know, I, I wouldn't swap it for the world. I think we should, you know, I think um, we should keep that going. I like it. On with the episode. Aha, uh-huh. I should quickly clarify. It is true that I don't care what I'm talking about with someone else. You know, I, don't, I don't care to win an argument or to lose an argument. In fact, I like losing much better than I like winning. And I, I, I enjoy the process of an idea coming out of someone else's head into mine more than I enjoy grabbing what's in my head and shoving it, in, shoving it into someone else's head. Uh, I'm selfish like that. I'm selfish. Yeah. Most people are very giving. Uh, generous, if you like. Uh, most people, you know, if they're on social media, for example, they have an opinion and they want to take it out of their head and shove it into someone else's. You know, that's a very giving thing to do. Me, I'm much more into taking so, you know, if I were to lose an argument, this is good for me because I've taken someone else's idea and uh, brought it into my head. I've gained something and they've gained nothing. I've won, you know, it's a sort of opposites day, you know. Okay. Um, but I should clarify that... Uh, yeah, who to? Who am I clarifying this to? I'm clarifying it to myself, okay? Yeah, this, uh, this podcast is Charlie talking to Charlie. I don't want you. If your name's not Charlie, I don't want you here. Get out of here, you know? If you found that comment stupid, get out of here even faster. Now, um, yeah, I, I don't um, care about whatever I'm discussing. You know, those two French scientists, I, I mentioned two French scientists in uh, some previous episodes, you know, who you know, may or may not have been racist and uh, towards Africans. I don't care. I don't care whether they were or not. I really don't. You know, the whole of Africa at the moment you know, and Africans all around the world um, appears to be in uproar and um, upset. You know, I don't care. You know, um, and the French scientists, they seem to be upset too as a, as a consequence of all of this and they're apologising, all that sort of thing, or at least one of them is. 
I don't care about that either. I don't care whether they're believed. I don't care whether they're not. I don't care about anything to do with what is going on here. Uh, but one thing I do arc up at, you know, and I often lose even when I do arc up at, uh, at it, um, is you know whenever I'm challenged on how I'm putting my arguments forward, you know, my logic and all that sort of stuff, you know. Now, often I get that wrong, the logic, but I will fight. I will fight, you know. Um, you know, if someone says, are you, you know, you were inconsistent in an argument you said yesterday, then, you know, I'll come out, um, I'll come out fighting on that one because um, that is a challenge to me because I wasn't challenged on... Um, my values or opinions or ethics or morality or anything like that. I was um, challenged on my my style of discussion. Yeah, and that's the only thing I really hold dear uh, in this podcast is my ability to think things through. You know, um, and uh, and I will you know fight to the death. Uh, to defend the way I'm discussing something. But I, I, I couldn't care less about what I'm discussing. You know, if I come to a conclusion, I'm not going to defend that. You know, if I think, oh, that Tedros, he's a real bastard. You know, if someone comes to me and says, I disagree with that, I'll say, okay, I don't care. All right, he's not. You know, Donald Trump, yeah, what a pig, you know, I might say. And someone will come to me and say, Donald Trump, great guy. I'll say, okay, great guy, whatever. You know, however, if, if I'm going to argue one way or the other and um, someone challenges me on the way I argued that thing, um, you know, I may defend, I probably will defend the way I argued that thing. And I still may lose, but I'm going to defend it. I care about that. My real dialectic partner got a question going in my head today. Uh, she, she made me wonder to myself, uh, what is the difference between her approach and my approach in um, considering all sorts of things going on, uh, coronavirus and everything else? You know? uh, we've been discussing Ted Ross lately. I think I, I, I think I mentioned him in the episode that's coming up. Uh, I get my episodes mixed up. Uh, and, um, you know, she's locked into a few discussions about him with others as well as with me. You know, I think I work for her, actually. I'm one of her team. You know, I'm on her team. I think she's hired me and others. But anyway, that aside, you know, we're all working for her. Yeah, which suits me fine. I just sit in my corner working for her, but you know, I get a podcast done at the same time because I, I grab ideas off her while I'm working for her. You know, that's the way it works sometimes. Uh, but she, she put a question to me. She put an idea, actually, into my head. She said, are we, you know, are we in agreement in, in general on the big picture or not? You know, and, and I think not. Uh, and, but then I had to start thinking, in what, in what way not? And, uh, and I actually don't know the answer to that. Uh, yeah, because what I'm after is very random and what she's after, I think, is very random too. So it's very hard to pin down. It's elusive. 
Uh, but in general, uh, in general, you know, you can't actually uh, be empirical about these things, you know, because sometimes she may argue my way and I may argue her way sometimes. And so you can't lock it down that easily. But in general, big picture-wise, I think she engages more in the current times. You know, she's living within the current times a lot more than I am. I'm not saying one way is better or worse. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, you'd have to listen to my entire podcasts, you know, almost 200 episodes worth, an hour each, it's weeks worth of listening if you listened 24-7, which you couldn't without killing yourself. Uh, I struggle to even speak an entire episode with killing without killing myself these episodes are so stupid uh, so you get what i'm saying but the point is uh, she, she she jumped the question into my head what's the difference between her approach and my approach and i think you know like it, for example if we're discussing coronavirus or this director general of the world health organization who happens to be from her tribe actually as far as i know or maybe he, he's not quite he might be from some other tribe, you know. Uh, Ted Ross, you know, we're discussing him. And um, when she is discussing all these things, like the current virus, for example, um, she actually cares uh, whether, yeah, she, she cares whether the virus, yeah, she actually wants to know what's going to make the virus not spread in Australia. For example, you know, what are the things we need to do to make sure this thing doesn't blow? You know, things like that. You know, what are the strategies that are going to work and what aren't? And all that sort of stuff. You know, or when it comes to Tedros, um, you know, it matters to her uh, whether he is, um, you know, whether the, look, there was a whole, in, there was a whole, Furor that uh, got triggered by two French scientists being, you know, arguably uh, colonialist and racist in the way that they were proposing. Arguably, I said, uh, in the way that they were proposing that you know Africa be made a testing ground for vaccines, and it mattered to her because she's living within the times in which we live in. Bad grammar, but you know what I mean. Whereas. Um, and, uh, you know, this doesn't make me lofty at all. It makes me stupid. But to a very large extent in this podcast as a whole and in, in the way I chat about these things and think about these things and look at these things, you know, I'm living 100 years from now and, and uh, looking back at this time in which we are living in uh, and with interest, you know, um, almost as if I'm studying history in retrospect after it's already passed. I'm dead already, you see. She's alive. I think that might be the difference. The, look, I could talk, keep talking like this for an hour, wondering what the difference is. I do think, and I actually do have this thought flash through my head often, sometimes as I'm speaking this podcast, I am speaking it as if it's... As, as if it's being listened to long after I'm dead by someone who doesn't know, even know who I am. 
Yeah, because I've got a fake name attached to it and everything. There's no way to, for you as a listener, 100 years from now, if podcasts even exist by then, you know, this entire podcast could be blown away Buddhist style. And uh, all my talking here, you know, might just be blown away at the same time. Uh, Buddhists do that, actually. They make intricate art in sand, you know, like the um, the monks up in Tibet, you know. They'll, they'll draw an intricate piece of art in dirt or sand um, on a Kamish sort of day and then wait for the wind to spring up. And they'll, they, they will uh, spend... Uh, a great deal of effort on this art and then a wind will spring up they won't take a photo of it and put it up on Instagram they'll watch that art be blown away with the wind and that art will have had all sorts of messages in it and they'll watch it blow away with the wind and then they'll just sit there there, and they'll ponder the fact that um, they they had put very important messages into that art and expressed themselves and they watched it all just blow away with the wind. And a podcast can be like that too. I can be putting all this effort in and it can be blown away in the wind. Uh, and, and I like that Buddhist example because uh, to a very large extent, I'm speaking this podcast to myself and not even listening, it to, and not even listening, listening to it myself. You know, so there's a certain amount of Zen to it. Uh, but on another level, I am putting it in the ether, but not for specifically for anyone I know to be listening to it. Yeah, you know, sometimes I send a link to one that might be interesting, like I just did a, uh, a an episode on Rod Stewart and put some of my favourite songs on there and pass that on to a couple of people just in case they like songs. You know, nothing more than that. So that's just for amusement, you know. Um, but if I was to, if I was to, because I like to sort of think, what am I here doing this podcast for? Well, for no reason, and I'm trying to achieve that Zen. For no reason. I don't want anything to come of it. I want nothing to come of it. You know, I'm not trying to make the world a better place and so on. I'm not trying to solve problems. You know, I'm not trying to find answers and all that sort of thing. I think it's a particular type of Zen. And I think that's the difference. You know, My um, dialectic partner, as I like to call her, She's my influencer, actually. She gives me more ideas than anyone on this, in this world. Uh, you know, she is engaged in the world and the world matters and she matters to herself. Um, whereas I'm dead already. Now, I know that sounds a little bit morbid and all that sort of stuff, but it's not. It's actually quite nice. Uh, yeah, I, there is a real me that thinks and feels and all that sort of stuff a bit, you know, away from this podcast, but I don't bring that guy onto this podcast and into my chats with her either. You know, 99% of the time, you know, she proposes an idea and I think about that idea. You know, for example, the behaviour of someone like Tedros, the Director General of the World Health Organisation, and the behaviour of someone like Donald Trump at the moment, they're just locking themselves. They're locking horns to those two guys right now. Um, you know, president of a nation versus, and a nation like the USA too, versus the director general of, of uh, an international body like the World Health Organization. It's beautiful. I think, um, 
I think Donald Trump has picked that fight on purpose and Tedros has been very glad to pick up on the fight because it benefits him too. You know what, this could be a symbiotic fight. You know, both of them need a fight right now because it's a distraction for both of them. Uh, both of them have uh, need deflection, distraction. Look, Donald Trump wants someone to fight him, to hate him. And Tedros, well, he's been in trouble too, so he has been only too pleased to pick up the fight and away they go. They bo- they're both fighting and arguing against each other, but they're both doing exactly what they want and need. You know, that sort of thing. Um, but look, in summary, yeah, um, to a very large extent, what I'm on about is stupid. Absolutely pointless and absolutely stupid, but I like it. You know, it's like rock and roll. You know, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. You know, this podcast is only stupid, but I like it. That's all I need. I enjoy making it. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some really good stuff coming up in this episode, which I recorded earlier, but you're never going to hear it because this little intro I've put at the front um, is so stupid that the average person will never get to the rest that's coming up, which is uh, actually quite a philosophical sort of treatise, <laughs> is that a word, treatise, um, chat about, you know, what I think is a pretty good point. You know, uh, well, what is the point? Uh, something about, you know, um, what do I think of the tyranny of the majority in different places and times in history? You know, that's not a bad essay topic, really. But I've smashed it now by speaking for 10 minutes about nothing in the lead-up. I've wasted, you know, I've wasted your time and I've wasted my time. And that's part of the Zen, really. I've got no point to make. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to solve anything in the modern sort of coronavirus sort of <laughs> uh, infected era, you know. Uh, I don't care if um, Africa's going nuts over these two French scientists whom I mentioned before, the fact that they were racist, you know, the fact that that whole debate is getting, you know, getting out of control. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I don't care to defend those two French scientists. I don't care to smash them. I don't care to prove all those Africans who are sma- You know, who are crying racism and colonialism. I don't care to. Um, it doesn't trigger any emotion in me. I. I say let them all go. Let. Them, in fact, I want it to blow. I want that whole thing to blow. Um, I want um, I want Tedros to get sacked, and I want him not to get sacked. I just want to see what happens. I'm here watching. You know, I'm not engaging. I'm disengaged. Now that doesn't you know, that, that's annoying when people say that, but that's the approach I'm taking. Whether it's annoying or not, um, I'm dead already. It's a hundred years from now, and as I speak, I'm actually listening to myself a hundred years ago in my imagination, I'm dead already. I'm not engaged, I don't care. I don't care if Donald Trump um, wins the fight against Tedros or vice versa. I don't care if he gets kicked out you know, at, at the end of this year or not. You know, apparently there's supposed to be elections but they might not be able to go ahead and all this sort of stuff. 
Whereas I think my uh, dialectic partner does care and I think it makes a big, a big difference. It makes a big difference, I think. Yeah. And now, her approach, I think, overall, better than mine. My approach, worse. But that's the nature of this podcast. Okay, I just now wasted 14 minutes saying nothing and I don't care about that either. On with what I recorded earlier. It was, I think there were good bits in it. But those good bits that now have been shoved so far back into the arse end of this episode, they'll never be heard anyway, even by me. This episode ends up being something of a pondering about uh, the idea of a tyranny of a majority over a minority. And a ty- and, and it also ends up being having a chat about you know, just regular tyrants, you know, the, the tyranny of a single dictator over a majority and a minority, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But in particular, a tyranny of a majority over a minority and, you know, and... You know, how I feel about that. And I end up feeling nothing much about that. Uh, but I do note with interest that uh, sometimes it would appear, you know, and this coronavirus situation has brought this to my attention, sometimes people who dislike a tyranny of a majority over a minority in some places and times and circumstances are fine with it in other places and times and circumstances you know to which you know a lot a lot of people would say of course you know uh, but without a situation like this coronavirus you know a big crisis like this coronavirus coming along you know i might have started to think that most people or all people most people uh would have been against the very idea of a tyranny of a majority over a minority. And that happens in a democracy often, by the way. You know, where, you know, uh, for example, if, if all Australians were allowed to vote on whether refugees could come to Australia, they might, I, I reckon the vote might come in as no. You know, so uh, our system is such that the majority gets overridden you know so we're against you know and we do let refugees in you know and and then you could get into how many you know but you know what i'm getting at okay so um yeah to a certain extent we look had this coronavirus not come up it might not have occurred to me that people who are against discrimination against minorities by the majorities or by majorities uh, people who are against that are not against it in every circumstance place and time Uh, because in the time of coronavirus the minority happens to be someone that those very people in general happen to be people that those people don't like you know, we're talking 
The minority in this case being on the nose. Um, These are the people who think that isolating, social distancing and having all the other restrictions that are in play at present imposed upon them is is over the top and wrong. So there is a minority of people who think that they should just go about their day as they always have, their rights their ordinary rights in other circum- in other times and places should not be infringed upon. And they damn well want to go and play cricket in the park. You know? Now, the majority, including people who are normally all for uh, not discriminating against minorities, um, you know, will play the tyrant against those people. So the majority, who, which in general includes the people who normally stand up and bat for minorities... Uh, they will very happily uh, nigh on approve of the shooting dead of those people who are breaking the rules. Well, no, not quite, you know, but not far off it. Now, now obviously then it comes to, uh, it comes down to, right, then what we established then is that a tyranny of a majority over a minority is not fundamentally a wrong thing. Okay? I think. I think that's what we say. Except for the very, very, you know, look, most right-thinking people. But then what's a right-thinking people? Uh, What's a right-thinking person? Well, a right-thinking person is someone who doesn't want everyone to be killed as a result of a coronavirus, you know, and things like that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is um, it might not have occurred to me but for this coronavirus, that a tyranny of a majority over a minority is not always a bad thing. And what's the difference then, you know, if we're talking this situation compared to another situation, you know, where, you know, right now, a majority of people, look, there's no way, uh, a majority of people says, right now says um, that anyone who votes, you know, anyone who insists or has a minority view of that refugees should be allowed into Australia at the moment and they should be allowed to go and... They themselves should be allowed to go and play cricket in the park because it's their goddamn right. They should be allowed on the, their own beaches. You know, like if you lived in Surface Paradise or Lawn or somewhere, you know. This is my beach, you know. I'm allowed to go down there. You can't stop me. Yeah. Yeah. Even Indigenous people, for example, you know, idiot ones who say, listen... I've been on this beach for thousands of years. You can't tell me not to go on it. You know, right now the police will kick those indigenous people off. All these sorts of things. Look, there's a minority of people in Australia right now who, if there wasn't a tyranny of my uh, of a majority in play at the moment, who would dob them into the cops? And those people would continue to congregate as they always have. They'd still be having their parties and going down the beach and all that sort of stuff. They would be, you know. The only thing that's stopping them at the moment is a tyranny of a majority. Um, and, and this tyranny of a majority, you know, uh, is, allow- is making it such that, you know, there's a rule in play at the moment that you can't even protest. Now, that's an interesting one. You know, not just that you can't do this and you can't do that, you can't even protest. Um, because there's a limit of you know, gatherings of two people only. Now, in ordinary circumstances, that would be an, 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 an anathema um, to most people, you know. 
but there is that rule in place at the moment you can't congregate so here's a funny a funny dictatorial sort of law that's in play at the moment um we are going to ban gathering and you can't even protest against that two people maximum that means you can't actually hold a peaceful protest and normally if if you know of all the rights that must not be infringed upon you know the right to protest is one of those rights that we hold most sacrosanct now that's interesting when that one gets knocked out isn't that interesting we can't even protest that's interesting it's very interesting now now you know the minority at the moment um is on the nose um but then again in other circumstances when it comes to anything you can poke a stick at you know uh, allowing refugees into this country you know um blah blah um uh, same-sex marriage uh, i can't think of any others but you know there's hundreds of them um yeah, it's often the case that the minority is on the nose then. You know, what are you going to do? Make a value judgment that the minor- this minority at the moment who wants to go to the beach and continue to enjoy his or her, you know, their lifestyles, um, are we going to make a value judgment but that, that that's unacceptable? But in this other case, it's acceptable for a minority to stand up for their rights, you know. Now I happen to agree with you, you know that if you if you think this way, that some you know in the current case, yes, smash the minority, and in the other case, um, stand up for the minority. You know I happen to agree with you. All I'm saying is that in the end, a value judge, a judgment comes into play, and um, and it doesn't come down to the idea that. Minority rights have to be upheld. It doesn't come down to that in the end. You know, minority rights do not necessarily need to be upheld. They do not need to be protested against um, in principle. Oh, sorry, protested for. In principle. You know, it can... You can construct a scenario where... It is wrong to stand up for minority rights. You know, and it is right to stand up for discriminating against people who are in the minority and that and and the scenario and it doesn't matter if it's a ridiculous and absurd situation. We've got that right now an absurd and ridiculous situation, coronavirus. And all I'm saying is, you know, um that it ends up a matter of your own values as to whether you make a judgment about whether um, individual rights need to be protected, um, minority groups being discriminated against need to be protected. You know, it comes down to whether um, you know you. It is allowable to have a debate on whether it is a valid minority view you know whether a minority view is a valid minority view or not whether a minority is a valid minority or an invalid minority you know and as soon as you open the door to that in an absurd situation then theoretically and in principle the door is open for that discussion to take place in every uh, case 
Yeah, so if you've got same-sex marriage, for example, um, yes, I'm going to vote with you. Don't worry. You know, um, that uh, the minority uh, rights, the minority rights to same-sex marriage, you know, people who want to have same-sex marriage, um, you know, I'm going to vote with you. But the point is, um, does this coronavirus um, riddle, (laughs) you know, conundrum, apply here, you know? Have we opened the door to the idea that at least the debate can be had as to whether a minority stance is valid or invalid? In every case, um, given that it is valid in even this ridiculous case of the coronavirus, look... It might not have even occurred to me to have to have this thought in the first place, were it not for uh, this coronavirus coming along. Extreme situations, you know, in which communities, um, populations, and so on, and individuals are stress tested, put under stress, um, open up new areas of thinking, and that's all this has done for me. You know, this coronavirus situation, you know, it's a highly unusual situation and it has opened up new doors of thinking for me. That's all. You know, um, and I'm not coming down, you know, on, in one way or another. I'm just saying it just, um, it puts a wrinkle in a lot of certainties. You know, it, 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 it makes less black and white a lot of things that were black and white before for me at least, and one of those black and white things that I I think I thought was a black and white thing uh, that uh, gets a bit, just a little bit disturbed is um, the idea that a tyranny of a majority is fundamentally a bad thing when a minority is hanging around getting discriminated against. That's all I'm saying. I think that's enough for me to move on. Yes, let's go. This episode builds on a dialectic I got involved in with Anise the other day. And this one takes that idea, which was something to do with the way our individual rights get suspended in times of crisis. A little bit like uh, back in ancient Rome when they would bring a dictator in in times of crisis and then put the dictator back in his box afterwards, after the crisis had gone. And that always worked until it didn't. Julius Caesar. Okay, And we still have a version of that which is not quite as powerful we have you know, this concept of states of emergency, which are not about declaring emergencies, you know, for the media or anything like that. They are about governments handing themselves more dictatorial powers than they had before they declared the state of emergency or, you know, declared a pandemic or anything like that. You know, all these declarations are declarations of states of emergency. Yeah, they, they all echo what Rome used to do. Um, these things, uh, when uh, a cabinet, for example, in Australia, or a president in his head in America, 
Uh, we're much more collaborative in our system, on that level anyway. Um, okay, uh, you know, when they're de debating whether to declare something a state of emergency or not, the only thing that's on their minds is not, you know, just to let everyone know, hey, we're in a lot of trouble here. It's, uh, can we release from the box all these powers we have over the population um, that take away a number of their rights. Uh, in which case, you know, people say, our hard-fought rights, you know. In which case, um, yeah, they never have the rights in the first place. A lot of people, we, we, we live in fairyland. We live in rights fairyland most of the time. We like to say, we have inalienable rights to this and that. Um, and, uh, from industrial to personal freedoms, uh, to the right to protest, you know, to uh, the right to not be held after an arrest for anything more than what is it in Australia, you know, maybe a night or two, you know. And I, I think, I think yeah, a policeman has to charge you. But, you know, all of these things can be suspended if a cabinet, for example, in Australia, decides to let um, these, let those, let the rights killer, you know, the rights killers, out of the box via de a declaration of a state of emergency. And for example, you know, we were waiting in Australia for the World Health Organization to declare a pandemic. Come on, you know, because <laughs> it's crowd management. Um, that's what's on Scott Morrison's minds, crowd management. There's a lot of people going around now now saying, why didn't he go in harder, in earlier? Well, it's because the mob you know, wouldn't have allowed him. There's a lot of people walking around Melbourne now. Well, they're not walking around, are they? And they're saying, why didn't he go harder? You know, and a lot of those people were saying, you know, when Scott Morrison was trying to go harder earlier, uh, they were saying, this is absolutely ridiculous, you know. It's the smirk, it's the scoff, this is overboard, you know. I heard them. Uh, and, yeah. and this is why a, a, a cabinet, prime minister, whoever, uh, has to crowd control that. You know, they have to keep saying, I respect the intelligence of the people and all this sort of thing, whilst at the same time, respecting nothing like that. <laughs> all right, so, um, so that's that. Now, uh, so, um, you know, if you've got all these rights you say you've got, if the government, any government, and it's every type of government worldwide has, uh, opened that box. So I'm talking every government system. You know, it's not because we are a capitalist system or anything like that. You know, uh, this is something that all governments have got, you know, a, a box where your rights are suddenly quashed in a time of crisis. You know, which most people think that's a good idea. But, you know, it's, it's just that we live in fairyland. When we walk around in times of not crisis, when we say these are our inalienable rights, you know, they, they are alienable. They are alienable. Um, the, you know, the suppression of those rights are sitting in a box. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're in Iran or Iraq or even North Korea. You know? North Korea would still have some additional rights that they do afford their uh, people. Um, they would still have a box that takes even those away. China, Australia. Um, anyway, Australia, we were waiting for the World Health Organization to declare a pandemic. And the World Health Organization was dragging its feet. And I'm in the camp saying that this was for corrupt reasons. I, um, I don't have much time for international bodies. I've got to put some money in that. International bodies um, in practice. You know, the UN, you know, League of Nations before that, and all that sort of stuff. They get corrupt. Sports bodies, you know, international sports bodies. I watched um, in horror as uh, international sport adjudicated in a case that was local to me, my own football team, Essendon. It was taken all the way to, Gen to Geneva, and Geneva d decided that 14 of our players should be rubbed out for a year. Um, and, you know, this is the international sports, uh, you know, WADA, World Anti-Doping Association. Um, you know, on no evidence, they were just comfortably satisfied that our players should be rubbed out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all processes in Australia had, to that point, suggested that they shouldn't. Yeah, there wasn't enough evidence. Yeah. And, um, and this, yeah, the week before, you'd have to be an Essendon supporter to be following all of this, the week before, um, they had, uh, oh, the week after, they had to rule on Russia and go tough on Russia. Yeah, because they were rubbing Russia out of the Olympics at the same time, or they wanted to. Um, so they couldn't be seen, you know. I don't mind this coming up as a conspiracy theory from me. Um, some conspiracies are not that off the wall. Um, but the Russia case was getting heard the very next week, and they were hearing the Essendon case the week before. And I'm on the BBC World Service all the time, so I was all over the Russia case anyway. Uh, local news media here in Melbourne wasn't, didn't make the connection, but it was the same body, WADA. Anyway, so they were considering this other case and considering our ca case, and they wanted to do something very politically high-charged the very next week by rubbing uh, Russia out of world sports, you know, the world championships and, uh, and I think it wasn't the Olympics at that point, but the world championships and, uh, and the Olympics, I think it was. Yes, it was, I think. And, um, and then this, you know, this comes across their desk, you know, this Australian sport, which none of them care about anyway, uh, but you know, still a billion dollar sport. And, uh, and it's come across their desk and they have to adjudicate it on it. And they say, listen, there's, you know, flimsy, you know, there's no real evidence, you know, that the players did or could have known that they were taking anything but supplements and all that sort of stuff. You know, you can get into the legalities of it if you like. Look, if you're a Collingwood supporter or a Carlton supporter, you'd say oh, what I'm saying here is ridiculous because you already know, you already wanted the uh, Essendon players to be rubbed out too, didn't you? Well, no, actually. A lot of other supporters, supporters from other teams, 
were uh, saying, hang on, no, no, no. You know, much as we'd like to see Essendon smashed, uh, you know, my brother's a Hawthorne supporter and he said this. So much, much as I don't, I'm a Hawthorne supporter, I don't mind if Essendon gets smashed, but hey, no, 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 due process goes, you know, out ranks. My delight in seeing Essendon smashed and Wadra, they uh, summarily rubbed us out. Yeah, and, uh, and we got we got the message by Owl, Harry Potter style, and we had, you know, there was nothing we could say about it. The Owl wasn't going back. All right, so that's that. Um, so, uh, you know, international bodies uh, in practice tend to be corrupt to the eyeballs. I, I really believe that. And I think the World Health Organization has been stepping right outside of its jurisdiction. Uh, there's a guy in there, uh, the, you know, the Director General. Look, I'm heavily following Ethiopia for the last few years, the last three or four years, via my goddaughter. Uh, so, yeah, right on top of Ethiopia. I know, you know, she's filled me in on everything. I've oh, endless um, discussions on the history, the politics, the economics, the culture, the identity, everything about Ethiopia. I could reel off so many emperors and all that sort of stuff and you know I know what they had for breakfast in 1878 now uh, and, and and my favorite Ethiopian emperor is an emperor called Tedros um, who was in about 1878 you know? um, I've already done an ep I, I did multiple episodes on him he's a fascinating bloke uh, the father of modern Ethiopia um, last man standing in a battle against Robert Napier, sent over there to Ethiopia by Queen Victoria, and uh, and he uh, and and, the, and he's on high up in a mountaintop fortress, Magdala, and the soldiers, yeah, the British soldiers swarm his compound. He's last man standing. He raises a pistol to his head. It's a pistol that Queen Victoria herself had given him as a gift. And ceremoniously, ceremonially, ceremoniously, he shoots himself in the head. What a fantastic story. There's a, uh, you know, I made a lot of episodes on Tedros. Anyway, uh, the current Director General of the World Health Organization is named Tedros as well. You know, phonetically, they're, they're spelt differently, it doesn't matter. What's in spelling? You know, we spell these things in English. You know, oh, the, uh, the other Tedros is spelled T-E-W-E-D-R-O-S, and you know, this one is T-E-D-R-O-S. You know. uh, this is English, you know. It really doesn't matter how we spell it in English, does it? You know, some people call the other one Theodore too, because it's a, you know, it's a derivation of the name Theodore anyway, Teddy. Right, um, so, uh, that's that. Uh, the, the, the thing that triggered that, well, I can't help saying, was a letter that went missing. A letter that Tedros had written to Queen Victoria and ended up in India instead of, you know, in a filing cabinet in India, never got to Queen Victoria, and the misunderstanding you know, result spilled over into war and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot to that story of Tedros. Anyway, the current Tedros, he's the Director General of the World Health Organization, and much as he comes from the same tribe as my goddaughter, uh, 
you know um, I don't mind smashing someone who's from our side not my side I've, I've got no more feeling for her mob than any other mob in Ethiopia I don't love her mob any more than any other mob you know she does but I don't you know she's from the Tigray mob you know there are other mobs Oromo Amhara and Somali and others um, I don't I don't care for any you know I don't have any feelings towards any of them but it's important you know for the purposes of my podcast that that's noted you know because this podcast goes for virtue anyway Tedros the current Tedros been watching him and I don't mind saying he's corrupt to the eyeballs look a little part of him cares he doesn't want to see millions of people dying now he is a health professional but he's still corrupt to the eyeballs um, yeah he's China centric yeah now this is the uh, by calling someone China centric you know and smashing them and West smashing you know it sounds like you just you know you're in the business of making memes uh, you know, it sounds like you're a black and white sort of guy that just wants to smash someone who says anything nice about China and um, who says anything nasty about the West, but this guy consistently and persistently has been smashing the West for its uh, response to the coronavirus, well, pandemic as it is now, but they wouldn't admit it, the World Health Organization, for far too long. Um, They've been hypercritical over and over, you know, chastising, um, dressing down the West. Um, and the whole time saying, just pray, over, over praising China, you know. But China's behaviour has been unforgivable, as has the West's in many cases, you know. But... Um, what and Tedros has um, come under fire for that, and he was under a lot of pressure over the last fortnight, up until a couple of days ago, and uh, and the, and and the clamour for his removal was growing louder, and he pulled the race card. Now, on one level, that was brilliant. You know, there was a furore around two French scientists who. You know, on, a, on an absolutely medi, you know, medical level, um, it was leaked, a discussion they were having about what is the best way to fast track a vaccine. And, you know, they were discussing, you know, parallel uh, testing with prostitutes in Africa uh, because that's the best way to get the people most at risk with the least protection um, from the virus. And they were saying we should test it there in parallel and that triggered a furor a storm i made a couple of episodes about that too um some you know student student betrayed them in my opinion but you know this doesn't make me a francophile you know i'm not you know i'm not loving the french because they're white i don't like the french anymore you know i'm loving you know i pretty much probably love the ethiopians more than the french you know but that's a whole other story you cannot be well understood on this. You know, people will make their own minds up whether you're a racist or anything else. You know, it really doesn't matter. Uh, and in this podcast, as you would have noticed, I don't care. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a podcast where I'm talking to myself. 
you know, it really doesn't matter what you know your opinion is. I'm not here to make you happy, whoever you are, listener. In fact, I hope I haven't got a listener here. I am talking to myself. Uh, there's no way for you to make a comment, to like, to share. I am not one of these teenage-style grown-ups yeah, who give advice on coronavirus, you know, celebrities and so on, saying like or share. You know, um, I need my message to get out there. You know, this sort of thing. You know, rappers writing rap songs um, saying that all you need is, you know, is kindness and compassion and love. You know, you know what? The, you know, this is what the rap, there's a rap song that came out recently. You know, you need love. You know, oh no, he, he set it up a lot more um, subtly than that. He said, what is the greatest, you know, virus that is in the land today? You know, and he's doing all these rhyme, rhyme, rhyme. You know, um, yeah. You know, it spreads, you know, exponentially, and it does this and it does that, you know. It kills. What is it? Ah, you thought I was going to say coronavirus, didn't you? No, it's fear. You know, what a load of crap. Yeah. Mean, to, you know, and what he was getting at is what we need is kindness. We need to show kindness and compassion to each other instead. You know, what a load of crap. Yeah. What we need is discipline at the moment, social distancing. Now, the Queen gave a much better speech than that rapper. The Queen said discipline and resolution. You know, Harry and Megan and this rapper and other celebrities and all that stuff. Kindness. Love will get you through, you know. We will all get through this if we just love each other. And, you know, no, you won't. You won't all get through. There are thousands and thousands and thousands dying. They are not getting through. No matter how much love you show, it's almost an insult to say, we will get through this if we all stick together. No. 50,000 people have already died. 75,000 people have already died. Is that the message you're telling all those dead people and their loved ones and their families and everything that if we all love each other, we can get through this together? Too late. No. You know, discipline will get us through. Resolution. Of course, kindness. You know, you're not going to go walking down the street, you know, keeping your social distancing but spitting on people at a distance. You know, that would be antisocial. That would be, you know, unkind you're not going to do that but first and foremost discipline um you know um but you, what you do is you get these rappers and celebrities and things you know and they're crowding the airwaves so to speak the digital waves um with their message trying to drown out um the the real messages that the prop the people we want to hear from are putting out there now and you know we want people like Queen Elizabeth saying things like she said the other day discipline um, and we want French scientists for example being free to discuss what's going to fast-track a vaccine when a vaccine is not you know ordinarily it's going to take years to develop you know if we want one within six months we're going to have to pull a few but we're going to have to infringe on people's sensitivities we're gonna to have to take that you know the right to um, people taking a sensitive approach towards you. We're going to have to take that, you know, the rights smashing conch out of the box and smash that one. Okay, so the French scientists were a little bit brusque, you know, abrupt French style in, you know, just going crash. We should try it, you know, we should test it on African prostitutes. Now, on a scientific level, of course you should. Smart. And maybe Melbourne prostitutes while you're at it, you know, because we've had, bro you know, because what their argument was, was that prostitutes tend to be less well protected from viruses going around. 
And if you think that's not true, you know, we've had a couple of brothels here in Australia that after lockdown, after isolation, had queues down the street. Police raids. You know? Um, now, I've got no problem with prostitutes. I'll go to a prostitute myself just to prove that, you know. Um, but, um, you know, and respect them at the same time. In fact, I'll get in there and I'll just have a conversation about ancient Rome just to prove my point and how much I respect prostitutes. I really do. I couldn't care less. You know, I'm a prostitute the way I run my consultancy. Um, you know, I flirt. I do it all. You know, I flirt with the blokes. For God's sake, I really do. If you saw me, you, I flatter. I do everything. I um, I even put the charm on. In certain ways, I know how to work blokes as I know how to work women. When I'm being a consultant, now I'm only selling software, you know. But if the contract was big enough, I wouldn't rule it out. If you know what I mean. And my wife has also said, if the contract's big enough, I'll turn a blind eye. Look, I'm half joking there, you know, um, but the theory stands, you know, um, that after lockdown, you know, at least these two brothels, and I'm sure a lot of others, um, the, you know, I feel sorry for them, but they were, and they were legal, they were legal, what about the black market brothels, what about the black market prostitutes, you know, the junkies, for example, you know, who need their fix, well, they're more likely to engage in risky behaviour than me at the moment because I'm only selling software, you see. So, if I was those two French scientists, I would suggest um, that if you had two people in a room and you wanted to test a vaccine on, you know, there's me and some prostitute, who would you test it on? Say, test it on her or him. You know what I mean? And, and they say, why? Because that's a prostitute and I'm a software guy. We're in different types of prostitution. Um, and you know, her one is likely to you get you're likely to get more of a hit, you know, for what you want to test. I would not say that normally. I would say I'd say if you've got plenty of time, try me. You know, you know, don't discriminate. But we haven't got much time. We want to save lives. Test it on her. And if she had any, you know, philotomo about her, she'd say I agree, or he would, you know. Um, and while I was at it, I was saying, listen, that brothel you've got, you know. Does it need a rostering system, you know, because I write, so I write rostering system softwares. And she'd say, yeah, come down to the brothel and um, we'll see what we can work out. And I'd say, thank you very much. I love talking software with you. You know, this sort of thing. It's all prostitution. So I'm not being moralistic. Right. Now, so, you know, these two French scientists uh, were discussing, um, you know, how can we fast track testing a vaccine well you know and uh, you know they're scientists you know and to a certain extent in that moment they're amoral and um they you know say you know they said um all right uh, we need people highly at risk who have got very little chance of um of um of interventions medical interventions you know um ventilators masks all that sort of stuff if we're going to test a vaccine, test a vaccine on them. You know, because then if the vaccine works, we know it worked without interventions. You know, other health interventions. 
you know, like Boris Johnson's in a hospital at the moment. I wouldn't test a vaccine on him because he's getting the best of care. He's the Prime Minister of Britain. Um, he's in ICU at the moment. He's in ICU with the best doctors that England can provide um, and unlimited resources, unlimited funds. He's got better health um, you know, tr- uh, outcome likelihood than a prostitute in what? The Congo, whatever, you know, they don't even care where. Or in that brothel in Geelong. Or that one in Brisbane, you know. Right. <sighs> anyway. So, you know, the French scientists, all right. Who are we going to test this vaccine on? You know, there might, there might have been a, um, another scientist that out of, out, of, uh, out of screen, you know, who said, oh, what about, let's test it on Boris Johnson. And the two French scientists would have turned around to that, what do we call him, an Italian, an Italian scientist, and said, hey, you are stupid. You know, he's already getting good care. You know, that's not a good test. We need at risk. He said, all right, there's some people around here in um, France, said Italy, and uh, said um, the other side. And the French scientists say, yeah, yeah, we are testing on them already. Oh, what about Australia? Yeah, we're testing them. We already proposed Australia. We're talking some parallel testing. Where should we do some parallel testing? In a very high-risk mob. Um, And then one of them said, I think, um, you know, like we did with AIDS, uh, prostitutes in Africa. Bloody good idea. In my opinion, a good suggestion anyway. Um, and, uh, and I, yeah, that got leaked by a, a student who was in on the discussion, only brought in only, um, yeah, because you need to bring students into these discussions because you're trying to um, skill them up to be the geniuses of the future, you know. Um, you've got to bring the students up. And you know she did or he did, whoever it was, videoed the scientists saying that and then leaked it to Instagram. You know, what a bastard, what a bitch, whoever that was. You know, um, you know the context, don't you, whoever you were, who you who did that. You knew the context in which the, scient- the scientists were trying to save lives right there. Yes, of course, they're going to be politically incorrect as they... Um, as they, as they brainstorm all the possibilities of fast-tracking a vaccine, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to polit- be politi- politically correctly pretty, any discussion like that. You don't bring your iPhone into a discussion like that, a closed medical conference, and leak it to effing Instagram. Yeah, I, I hope, you know, I would never let that PhD student get a job again. Oh, she got her viral uh, Instagram post, and I hope he or she, you know, I often think medical students are she, um, the the viral, um, she got her viral uh, Instagram post, she got five, probably 50 million hits, and I hope she loved that. Yeah, because that's currency, you know? If you can create a firestorm like that, you're you're famous, you know? Anyway, you know what I'm getting at with all of that. Anyway, this other prostitute, Tedros, uh, he's been under the gun. Yeah, he's been under under fire for the last fortnight, and he decided to 
jump on board with that Instagram uh, post. Yeah, and play, and he, and he was playing the race card. I don't mind saying that. Uh, he's a politician first and foremost. You know, he came, you know, Melish, you know, the Ethiopian prime minister, very a great prime minister. But, you know, political is all hell. You have to be. A politician is a politician is a politician. And anyone who thinks that politicians are high-minded, you know, dominantly, um, look, it just, it's worth remembering they're politicians. You know, Obama, for example. Oh, my goodness, the new broom, you know, finally, you know, a principled leader at all this sort of stuff. And there was a lot of, dis, you know, disillusion, um, disillusion about Obama after he got cracking because they suddenly, you know, people, st it started to dawn on them that he was a, uh, he was a POTUS first. Yeah. And high-minded second. He was a, he was a politician right through. He didn't, he didn't shut down Gitmo or anything else that he promised, you know. In fact, the chaos continued under Obama and he was ordering half of it. Uh, and um, and people's lives didn't get better and all that sort of stuff, you know. Look, he did some good things. They all do good things in different ways, you know. Like Ronald Reagan, you know. If you're from the other side, you know, uh, the Democrat voting side, you know, Reagan, what a bastard, you know. But he's remembered fondly by history. He did some wonderful things, you know. He sat down with Gorbachev one day and um, and it was the Cold War, and relationships were icy, and um, and Gorbachev was sitting there, and you know Brezhnev before Gorbachev and all this sort of thing. You know, it, it had always been very Cold War type of stuff, where you have social distancing between potuses and presidents of um, the Soviet Union. Okay, and um, and suddenly Reagan who was the ultimate personable person, um, he said to Gorbachev, uh, all right, we've got a Cold War, you and me. Let's just put all the politics aside and all the nuclear treaties, everything we're doing, you know, um, let's put all that aside just for a minute. Let's just be two blokes for a second. If aliens came and started attacking Earth, you know, Russia and... Um, you know, the US were the two massively the two superpowers at the time and he said if aliens came um, and attacked us right now would you join forces with me would we get together and find you know, and, and fight the aliens together and Gorbachev said absolutely he said it in Russian <laughs> no but it, um, Gorbachev was taken aback. It was a beautiful moment. It was fantastic. Now this is Reagan, the bastard. You know, he's he's nigh on the, the American Thatcher. You know, but he pulled that off in a way that Obama couldn't have, could not have that day. You know, they all do good things. They all do bad things. But they're politicians first and foremost. But that was a little personal moment for Reagan from Reagan, and I think it was a masterstroke. And it was one of the it, it thawed relationships from that moment. You know, a lot of people pinpoint that moment as a very key moment, you know, as was the David Bowie concert <laughs> next to the next to the wall. You know, as was a lot of things, but you know, these are the things. Anyway, so 
Tedros, the current Director General of uh, World Health Organization, look, he was um, brought into Ethiopian politics, you know, into the cabinet in Ethiopia by Melish. Um, and he was um, recommended to the World Health Organization, as I understand it, by Mugabe. Total bastard, Mugabe, you know. And yet, he brought this guy in. You know, and and I've, I have quite liked Tedros up to this point. But the other day, he jumped on. You know, look, he was under fire. Well, I don't blame him. And he thought, here's my chance to uh, shore up my position. I think he said that. Look, he might have actually also been appalled at what he heard from those two French scientists. Possibly. You can have both. It's not either or. Very few things in this world are either or. You know, um, but, you know, white hot with fury, he put out, you know, he got onto social media himself. You know, he, um, he, 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 um, he used his platform to make a, a grand speech about, you know, that said something like, um, Africa will never be a, t- a test laboratory. Now, whatever words he used there were pretty much precisely uh, the text I had seen on a meme. Yeah, Africa is not a test laboratory, you know, or something like that, a testing laboratory. Um, and I thought, my God, you know, you are, you are using your platform. You don't believe that at all. I said to myself, because it just so happens that he, in his background is, you know, epidemics. You know, malaria, you know, he was a big shot, just like these two French scientists. In fact, he was a bigger shot. In, um, in, in his previous career. That's what got him the job in the World Health Organization, you know, nominated by Mugabe, apparently. I haven't checked that, but someone told me. Um, anyway, um, he has a very controversial past in terms of how he, what he was proposing and doing in his previous role as a, a, a health, you know, an epidemic... Um, expert and all that sort of stuff. He, he's, he's an expert on this very matter that we're all worried about at the moment. He was, I think it was malaria and a few other things that he was dealing with. And he engaged in practices that were highly questionable, a lot more questionable than French, two French scientists proposing something that was eminently practical, if a fair bit politically incorrect. You know, but he got up and you know, white with fury, invoked the colonial past and all this sort of stuff. You know, Ethiopia was never even colonised, you know. Yeah, and Ethiopia loved slaves, you know. In fact, Ethiopia kept slaves long after the West got rid of slaves and they had to be forced to ditch their slaves. Well, you know, I think that was 1950-something. And 1940-something, 1950-something. You know, only, you know, America... The big bastard of the situation had got rid of their slaves in the 1800s. Yes, the legacy was still there. Look, the legacy is still there in Ethiopia of the slaves, you know. You've got the Oromos down south. They're not first-class citizens. You know, they're the ex-slaves. Um, it's, um, it's Tedros's mob that used to enslave those guys, you know. And the legacy of that is powerful. In fact, at the Olympics, I think last Olympics, uh, what's his name? Faith. Felici, or I can't remember his name. You know, he won, or he came third in, or he came second in the marathon. Ethiopians tend to be great, you know, um, marathon runners. Um, 
he um, he used his platform at the Olympics to protest against Tedros's mob, saying they they were you know, even all these years after slavery in Ethiopia that um, that they were discriminating against his mob down south in Oromo lands, you know, or you know, vaguely down south, you know, the Oromos are everywhere, but you know, look, you know what I'm getting at. All right, so Tedros decided. Uh, absolutely corruptly to play the race card and and the reason I come down on him quite hard is that for which he was attacking the two French scientists is that which he was quite happy to do himself in other times he knows he is a genius in health health administration and health itself he's a doctor he knows the context in in which the two French scientists were making that suggestion. He knows, and he knows he would have done it himself. He knows that in such a conference he would, might well have made that suggestion himself, and he decided to say this is a, another example of colonialism and all that sort of stuff. You know, we will not be slaves. Hey, listen, Tedros, you were the slaver, you know, your forebears were, and you're enjoying the legacy of that still, you know. How come you're the Director General of the World Health Organization, some Oromo guy isn't. You know, riddle me that, you know, and all this sort of business, you know. Corrupt as all get up. Now, look, I got, went off on a tangent there, but the original point, and you'll be amazed, I can even remember what it was, is that um, we were waiting for the World Health Organization to declare a pandemic. You know, so that we could let our rights-smashing, um, you know, bogeymen out of our box so that Scott Morrison could come down hard and force everyone to do social distancing and all that sort of stuff. You know, and other measures. You know, we, we, we went stage one, stage two, stage three. We might go to stage four restrictions. Why didn't we go stage four straight away? Because, you know, we're not China and Scott Morrison, you know, he's got to get engaged. He has to do crowd control. Um, Scott Morrison, you know, is probably doing all he can He's going maximum restriction and ha restrictions and has all along the maximum he can go to without people rioting. We are stupid sheep, most of us. You know, we think we're wise. You know, uh, social media is flooded with wisdom telling Scott Morrison what sh he should be doing, but Scott Morrison knows that he's got um, things to balance up here. It's not that easy. Um, and anyway, Scott Morrison was waiting for because you need um, you need some clout when you want to, you know like see, he did. We know this. Scott Morrison wanted to go harder, but he just couldn't because too much of the population of Australia was resisting. You know, you can tell you can you can just feel a riot coming on sometimes. You know, I could feel it in my own suburb. Like we pulled our kids out from school ten days earlier because everyone was dragging their feet. Um, but you know, I was listening to the BBC all along. And I could hear what was happening, you know, over in Italy and all that sort of stuff. And I said, hey, this is going to go, this is going to blow, you know, and we pulled our kids out early. It's on the record. Now, and, you know, people were saying, you know, even, this is stupid, you know, um, you know going overboard. The government knows what it's doing, you know. Um, anyway, the government did, but it was, it was, it was hogtied. By the mob and it was waiting for the world health organization this is our cabinet this is scott morrison you know, and this is a certain collaborative 
uh, approach that we Australians have um, in our system, our sort of Westminster system. You know, if, a, if our Prime Minister got knocked out, it wouldn't be that big a deal because you can just keep going. In fact, you know, because the Cabinet could keep making decisions. You know, if the President gets knocked out, you've got to bring another one in real fast. You know, because too much power is centred on the President. You know, but our Prime Minister isn't a President. You know, Boris Johnson's been knocked out right now. Knocked out. He's still the Prime Minister, but he's too sick to even move. Um, but the function of government is continuing on. They don't have to do anything in England because they've got a cabinet running the show. And, the, and you know, it's all done on a vote in the cabinet anyway. And the Prime Minister only chops in um, if there's a deadlock. And there's rarely a deadlock anyway. And they'll work something out there. Look, they've got someone in place, you know, to be a deadlock breaker while Boris Johnson's uh, sick. It's a different type of salt shaker. Uh, our government system than, for example, the American system, but that's a whole other story as uh, as well. All right, so Scott Morrison waiting for um, Tedros and the World Health Organization to, to declare this thing as a pandemic, you know, because that's a that's a, a rights smashing, um, uh, you know, bogeyman. That you know, look, if the World Health Organization announces that, you know, Scott Morrison, when he declares it a pandemic here. Um, he's he's not he's not a, he's not coming across as the Lone Ranger, you know, as a wildcat um, decision. He, you know, he's got legitimacy, but he uh, they were dragging their feet, the World Health Organization, and I think it's because they were being China centric for all the reasons I mentioned before, plus more, you know, because a lot of them are eyeing their futures. The UN itself is eyeing its future. You know, um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of everyone's future is with China, so you'd better be nice to them, as the Monty Python song said so long ago, nineteen seventies. You know, um, um, and uh, they were dragging their feet. And to Scott Morrison's credit, he uh, pulled the pin, he pulled the trigger, and he declared it a pandemic. A pandemic here in Australia. He essentially declared that in Australia it was a that, no he declared it for the world and he declared it for the world before the World Health Organization did and he said it's a pandemic and then he you know started to enact his emergency powers you know and all credit to him for that Look, I'm not a Scott Morrison lover a dork like me you know but that's what I'm getting at now rights I know that I started you know this whole episode is about rights you'll be amazed I even remember that um and, um, you know, inalienable, they feel, don't they? They feel inalienable. Look, I'll leave it alone there because I've been hovering outside a hospital all this time. I'm on, a, I'm on a hospital run. I'm on lots of hospital runs. I spend my whole, half my life in hospitals. I, I work for them. And also I have plenty of people in my family who are extremely high risk, you know, so, you know, this is, you know, I've got everything here. My sanitizer, my gloves, my mask. Got it all happening, you know. But, you know, this podcast isn't about my personal circumstance. But I do have to get in to this hospital soon enough um, and do a run. Uh, I'll speak later and uh, finish off with just a, either a short or a long grab. I can never predict on what I was getting out with all of that. You know, what led to all of that discussion, but, you know, that filled the time in the drive to the hospital. All of that, I enjoyed that. 
280 Australians from Peru uh, who are now on their way to Australia. I particularly want to thank uh, Deputy Prime Minister McCormack for his support uh, with the uh, airlines in uh, facilitating and, and helping this agreement to come about. Uh, the Australian Government is also assisting by ensuring that these flights have the necessary clearances and uh, approvals in countries where Australian airlines normally don't fly. Uh, some of this is, uh, is new for, uh, for Qantas and so we are assisting with that process. It's unbelievable how, uh, how much our politicians have to, you know, how dedicated they are. You know, they often get a bad rap. But, you know, I could have, I've been listening to, uh, that's the New South Wales uh, Health Minister, I think, speaking there. Um, I've been listening, to, well, I'm always listening to our politicians um, telling us all about, you know, the res- you know, giving us updates on the response to coronavirus and everything. Uh, compared to Donald Trump, my goodness, our politicians come across as... Uh, dedicated, uh, they really aren't playing politics most of the time. They're, they're politicians, you know. Look, I gave the politicians a bad rap a little earlier in this episode, you know. A politician is a politician. Is a politician is a politician, but no. Look, in deep crisis, uh, there are so many... See, you can't make grand statements in this world. You know, the minute I say that you know, politicians are corrupt... You can You have to um, acknowledge that um, so many of them are living and breathing response to COVID nineteen day and night, and the only thing on their minds, really, realistically, well, number one, yes, of course they have to survive. You know, if they get attacked politically, they have to, they have to jump down, they have to attack back. You know, so they do play politics still, but the grand aim of most of the politicians worldwide, surely, uh, is, are noble. The grand aims are noble. I do feel that. And when they do play politics, look, sometimes I feel that they have to do that because you're out of power the minute you don't play politics and you can't help anymore. That sort of thing. Look, all that sort of thinking is worthy of an episode in and of itself, you know, because where does, you know, saving your own ass? Um, you know, like you might honestly think that saving your own ass politically and doing corrupt things to do that is for the greater good because you can do the greater good. You know, there's been many a dictator that has thought like that in history. Uh, so where do you draw the line? Do you know what? It's It never gets resolved. It's a balancing act. Uh, yeah, I may attack uh, Tedros as I did earlier. I may attack Donald Trump as I have. And I can't remember whether I did earlier this time or not. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, I was texting another dialectic partner just a minute ago, so I might as well read that out. And it's in a certain context that this text is um, texted. Uh, so, what's your big picture? You know, because my friend here was saying what her big picture on... Um, all the politics, the, the, you know, Ted Ross and all those people, the politics they are playing. She gave me her big picture, and I said, and so she said, what's your big picture? And I said, oh, at the moment, basically one of the rights of the majority versus the rights of the individual, that whole eternal balancing act. I'm not interested at all about 
how this particular crisis ends up. And, and this is true of me, by the way. Um, you know, on one level, I'm living a, you know, I'm conscious that I'm living in a moment of history, and I'm imagining this is all said and done already. And I'm wondering, you know, and I'm I'm commentating from the outside of it, like I'm imagining I'm fifty years further on in time, looking back on this moment, you know, and all the shenanigans at the moment have all washed out already, you know what I mean? Um, okay, you know, so I'm not that passionate about, we know, we need to be doing this and we need to be doing that and all that sort of stuff. As far as I'm concerned, the whole crisis is over already. You know, it isn't, but, you know, I'm imagining it is and I'm looking back on it. So, you know, I'm not that passionate about how this coronavirus disaster ends up you know i may be dead as a result of it myself you know in which case you've got my perspective you know i'm alive still 50 years from now even though i died 50 years ago and you're getting my perspective as if i've still i'm still living 50 years from now hey this is how to stay immortal all right everyone knows that write something down speak something into a podcast and you survive your own death it's fantastic all right so what's my big picture um and I said, um, I'm in the middle of speaking my big picture take now. You know, I'm mentioning this episode. You know? I've spoken a 45-minute segment so far. I've just, I've got just a little more to wrap up, to wrap it up. But the perspective you text me, the perspectives you text me, are invaluable to me. I go with some of them, against some of them. And end up with what for me is a sparkling episode. You know, this is what I do with everyone I talk to. You know, I wait. You know, like I, 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 I get, I grab my take on what they're saying. You know, when I'm talking to people, I'm not talking to them so that I can get on the same page as, as them. Uh, in fact, I love it more when they disagree with what I really think than when I they agree with what I think. Yeah. Um, a lot of people when they're in a debate with someone, they're desperate for the other person to concede. You know, but I, no, I want to finish my chat with someone else um, disagreeing, you know, because there are there's more than one truth in the world, and why would you want to try and resolve that, you know? Well, sometimes you need to for unity and all that sort of stuff, but hey, we're nobodies. You know, we're just having comments online, you know? Okay. Um, so... Oh, I didn't say anything more because she um, she put a song on "When the Levee Breaks" by Led Zeppelin. What a bloody incredible song! She has said, "Ah, yes, for sure." I said, "Very topical too, right now." Uh, Cyclone Harold, by the way, is causing a lot of damage. People are getting killed in the Pacific Islands. Bad timing while virus is hitting at the same time. And she says, "Corona wasn't there too." Yeah, I think, and I'm pretty sure she's right. I don't know whether she's asking the question or telling me. Uh, true, but hard to support them at present. Yep. Oz usually pulls out all stops when Pacific Islands get hammered. And the radio was on before, and that same minister that was worried about getting people out of Peru and all that sort of stuff on flights was also talking about our response to the Pacific Islands. My God, the politicians have got a lot to um, handle. They really are amazing people. And they're corrupted, you know, they're often corrupted at the same time. You know, you can be both. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, okay, Mugabe, I mentioned him earlier. Look, he was, you know, I think he had some noble aims. And um, and, and he honestly, I, I believe that he genuinely thought it was 
the best thing for Zimbabwe uh, if he stayed in power. You know, the big picture. That was what was best. It was what was best for him to live a life of comfort as well. But, you know, uh, it's complicated. Oh, actually, look, I know what I was going to finish off with in this episode. And it was just a comment, a comment, the old comment about, you know, um, what do you make of the tyranny of the majority? Yeah. Uh, because right now, at the moment, and this is a completely different point, um, yeah, getting back to what I was saying much earlier, you know, rights, you know, rights in the time of coronavirus. You know, right now, uh, most people, <laughs> the majority, fully support the majority. Well, of course they do, but even the minority is supporting the majority at the moment and uh, agreeing to isolate, you know, um, and do their social distancing and everything. Look, right at the moment, the majority, in a tyrannical way, but in a good tyrannical way, is forcing the minority of people who don't want to follow the rules to damn well follow the rules. And this is really interesting to me because uh, there's not many people speaking out against that. So the rights of the individual uh, are taking a back seat at the moment. I'll get back to this later because while this seems okay to us in the time of coronavirus... How do we feel about that in other times? Um, And obviously, often, a lot of people think it's a very bad thing indeed that the majority should be so tyrannical. Um, But what it does do, I think, is maybe highlight the possibility that um, tyranny is not necessarily such a bad thing in all places and time. And we kind of knew that in ancient Rome when a dictator would be pulled out of a box and put in charge. You know, back in the ancient Roman Republic, um, we would, they would suspend the, you know, the, the two, councils, uh, two consul system and bring in a dictator to be a dictator for a set period of time. Um, and they didn't think it was such a bad thing to do. And to a certain extent, we... Uh, and we have a tyranny of the majority at the moment in a modern democracy where if anyone steps out of line... Look, the police are getting flooded at the moment by the majority dobbing in the minority. How do we feel about that? Well, we feel it's OK. Smash the bastards, you know, because they're not doing their social distancing. They're putting us all at risk. You know what I mean? So um, we don't, I think fundamentally believe that a tyranny, whether that's of a single dictator or a tyranny of a majority, bashing the minority, which is what the majority is doing right now, we don't think that's a bad thing in all circumstances. We pick and choose as to when that's okay and when it's not. But then comes the problem when who's to judge, you know, if, if another situation comes along soon, you know, and the majority doesn't want a flood of refugees, for example, like two years from now, after coronavirus comes along, and um, 
and you say, oh yeah, look, I agreed with the majority um, playing tyrant two years ago because that was a virus and I think that's legitimate, but I think this one isn't legitimate, but it still comes down to, um, you know, you bringing your... You know, are you playing judge and jury on when the majority is allowed to be a tyrant and when it's not? You know? And the answer to that is, of course you are, and of course I am all the time. You know, I actually will finish off the episode with that because I, I pretty much have finished that point. That's what I was going to talk about right at the start of this episode, and I've already talked about it accidentally just now. End of episode.